I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Eighty percent of success is showing up, Woody Allen once said. And if he's right, then a lot of American students are not on a path to succeed. Roughly one in seven students nationwide is chronically absent, defined as missing at least 10% of school days over the course of a year. In some urban districts, as many as one-third or even half of all students are chronically absent. What explains chronic absenteeism? What are its consequences for students? And what can policymakers and educators do to reduce it? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Brian Jacob, the Walter H. Annenberg Professor of Education Policy at the University of Michigan. Brian's a regular contributor to Ed Next, and along with Kelly Lovett, the author of the article, Chronic Absenteeism, An Old Problem in Search of New Answers, that's available now at educationnext.org. Brian, welcome to the Ed Next podcast. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here. It's great to have you. And as you note, this issue that you're writing about student absenteeism is hardly a new problem in American education, but I think it's fair to say that it started to get a lot more attention in the past few years. Why do you think that's the case, and what led you to take a closer look at the issue? Uh, well, I think that's exactly right. It certainly has uh, gotten more attention in recent years, and actually that increased attention is what led us to uh, dig back into the issue and write the article. So, but why did it get more, why has it gotten more attention? Um, I think there's a few factors. I think one, in kind of the post-NCLB era, there's been uh, a realization that it's important to look beyond standardized test scores, um, you know, as a measure of student outcomes and to help schools improve. Uh, and attendance seemed like a natural one to many people. And I think another reason is recent improvements in data collection. Um, you know, it really... Uh, it was amazing to me when I started looking into this uh, how you know, poor the data in the past has been on something as simple as student attendance. Um, but for the last, you know, maybe five or six years, there's been kind of national uh, national data available at the school level. Um, that uh, reports chronic absenteeism. So I think that's kind of driven some of the renewed interest as well. And what's the value of distinguishing chronic absenteeism from the issue of attendance more generally? Obviously, to do so, you need to choose some specific threshold, like 10% of school days, and exactly what you choose is a bit arbitrary. Some researchers use different definitions. So why are we going in that direction at all? Yeah, well, so I think uh, you're exactly right. Kind of the the threshold that you pick is arbitrary. I, the ones I've most often seen are 10 percent, uh, which is often 18 days of school in many school districts, or just 15 days, which is kind of three weeks. Um, but so, what is the difference though between chronic absenteeism as it's defined and just average daily attendance or average attendance? Um, one thing is that. Chronic absenteeism, uh, the definition incorporates excused as well as unexcused absences. So when districts have to report average daily attendance, 
typically if a student has an excused absence, they're not counted against a school's average daily attendance. But from the perspective of student learning, you know, whether you are not in school for a doctor's appointment or you're not in school because you're hanging out at the park, uh, the result is the same, that you've missed that learning time. And so uh, chronic absenteeism explicitly includes any form of absence. Um, and I guess then the second difference is this uh, some threshold, knowing that kind of uh, a school that even has relatively high average daily attendance um, in the upper 80s or 90s can still have a subset of students that are very frequently absent. And so uh, I think there's the understanding that it is um, absences above a certain amount, not just kind of students missing a few days here and there, that's really a key concern. And that's what can be missed if we just look at overall attendance rates, which tend to be relatively high in most school settings, and they can mask uh, sometimes a substantial number of students who are missing a good bit of school. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, do we know whether this problem of chronic absenteeism is worse now than it was in the past? Uh, is that part of what's driving attention? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think my sense is we probably don't know very well just because until recently many schools and districts weren't keeping consistent and well-defined records on attendance, um, uh, certainly records that were kind of kept and reported up to the district or the state level. Um, I think, you know, it may be a, wor a bit worse uh, now, at the high school level, ironically, because student persistence has improved. I mean, in the olden days, kids would, you know, might be just more inclined to drop out when they were 15 and leave school completely, um, in which case they're really not counted as absent or not. They're simply just no longer enrolled. Uh, now students kind of stay on the books enrolled, which is a good thing, but uh, they, you know, may you know, end up reporting uh, a great deal of absences. So your comment about high school students reminds me that the patterns of chronic absenteeism do vary a good bit across students and across grade levels. I believe they're highest at the high school level. Is that right? Yeah, I, th I think they're, uh, they're, they're quite high at the very beginning of elementary school, a kindergarten, first grade. Then nationally you'll see some kind of trend downward through elementary and middle school. But then at the end of middle school and high school, they pick back up again. Um, and so I think they're, they are quite high. In, in, many, in many or most districts, they're the highest among high school students. And so that suggests that that one in seven number nationally, about 14%, actually, you know, if that's an average across all grades, it suggests that the rate of chronic absenteeism is a lot higher at the high school level, maybe one in five nationally. And as you suggest, in some districts, it's just astronomical. Right. I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, being from uh, southeast Michigan here, uh, the, the large school district nearby is Detroit, uh, and I was kind of surprised and a bit distressed to, to 
see that Detroit really had the absolute highest of any district in the year that I happened to look, uh, 57% of students chronically absent. Um, and again, that's the average for all grades um, in Detroit. So it, it is just a huge, huge, huge problem in many places. Yeah, that figure from Detroit is just mind-boggling. It makes you wonder how you would get anything done as a, a teacher, uh, given what we know about how absences can be disruptive you know, for other students who aren't absent, given what they require teachers to do in terms of making up and adjusting to what students have mixed. Um, what evidence do we have that chronic absenteeism is a problem for the students who are absent themselves? Uh, your article reviews some of this evidence. Uh, make the case for us that this is a really useful thing to look at and, and try to address. Well, I mean, I think from the perspective of correlation or prediction, there's a very clear relationship. I mean, you there's been a number of studies that kind of map into many people's intuition or common sense. I mean, students that are chronically absent receive lower grades, are more likely to fail courses, have you know, lower scores on standardized achievement exams, they're less likely to graduate and go on to college. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think that's really the benefit. Now, whether it's the absenteeism per se or not is harder to disentangle, but I think for policy purposes, uh, it really does mean that absenteeism is a good uh, predictor, a good early warning sign um, in some cases, not so early, but a good warning sign that uh, students are in academic difficulty. Yeah, I was struck by some of the comparisons you make between the predictive power of chronic absenteeism as compared to, say, test scores, uh, that if we're trying to predict who's going to be successful in high school based on what we see in middle school or who's going to graduate from high school, that chronic absenteeism uh, tends to provide much more information. Right. I mean, that, that was uh, surprising to me, even kind of familiar with the literature. So it's, um, I mean, it really is, it, it's a very important factor for teachers and administrators and other school personnel uh, to be aware of. I guess at a minimum, it implies that if you're trying to identify students who are at risk of future problems, that this is an indicator that you should really look at. Now, strictly speaking, it doesn't mean that if you just get them to attend more, that they're going to do better. Um, but common sense would suggest that that would be helpful as well. Yeah, and there, I mean, there have been some other, there's a few kind of quasi-experimental studies out there that use, uh, you know, events like uh, snowstorms or teacher strikes or um, other things that, you know, I think do a little bit better job at kind of understanding the relationship between student attendance and uh, student performance. And, and they, again, suggest that, you know, not surprisingly, being in school, you know, helps promote learning. But I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I don't think I would push very hard that it's an absolute causal effect uh, in the way that we typically think in a program evaluation sense. Yeah, I, I worry a little bit about taking that evidence on attendance more generally and thinking about strategies to address chronic absenteeism and what we would expect just because we are defining the problem a bit differently yeah, when we talk about chronic right, yeah. absenteeism. That's exactly right. I think that's right. So I think it's a, it's a really good indicator, predictor, um, 
And, you know, I think the other reason that it's um, received kind of so much attention is that we kind of think it, it is a more kind of if it if it is an effect, we think of it as a more kind of proximate cause of poor student performance, um, and something that it might be uh, easier to shift. Um, I mean, if you go out and tell a student, "Okay, just score higher on the math standardized test score nine months later." what do they really do? Do they really know what to do? But if you tell them or their parents, okay, just get to school every day and then maybe do your homework and behave, that's a little bit um, kind of more direction uh, that is kind of more useful for many you know, parents and students and uh, perhaps even teachers. So one of the things I really enjoyed about your article is that you uh – looked at some of the factors that contribute to or explain chronic absenteeism as well. And you divided those factors into several categories to help sort of sort through or think through what is most important. So tell us a little bit about what explains chronic absenteeism and what kinds of things can explain it. Right. I mean, there's a huge variety of factors. And importantly, they kind of are very different, as you might expect, you know, across different contexts. I mean, what explains a kindergartner's chronic absenteeism might be very different than what explains a 10th grader's chronic absenteeism. Uh, but so some of the factors we, you know, there are student-specific factors, um, kind of teen pregnancy uh, might drive some young woman out of school, uh, you know, bullying and kind of safety issues uh, in the school where kind of students are uh, don't feel welcome or afraid to attend school. Um, then family-specific factors, um, kind of uh, family, low family income, and all of the stressors and chaos associated with low family income can make it harder for uh, parents to uh, get their children to school, and this is primarily for young kids. Um, at-home responsibilities that some older children might have can keep them uh, away from school. Um, School-specific factors. So there's uh, you know lack you know, poor uh, school facilities and just kind of you know a low-quality teaching and kind of a lack of engaging uh, environment is a reason that some students kind of uh, don't feel obliged to attend. Um, and then I guess you could you could pull in into the school factors uh, geographic access and transportation. I mean, in many areas like Detroit, uh, geographically it's a really large city. There is a public transportation system, but the bus routes are often kind of long and convoluted and don't you know go uh, directly from a student's house to school, and so. Uh, it can be very, very difficult for students actually to navigate just the travel to and from school, um, even in good weather. And then finally, uh, community-specific factors. So the availability of job opportunities that don't require formal schooling is kind of a pull factor, pulling kids out of school. Um, unsafe neighborhood environments is kind of a factor that people have cited, kind of keeping kids uh, from traveling to school, and then just more generally a lack of social supports in a neighborhood that 
you know, would in theory be able to help uh, struggling families overcome some of the earlier barriers we talked about. So this is a complicated problem with a lot of contributing factors, and that suggests that it's hard to figure out exactly where to intervene first if you're an educator or policymaker trying to bring down rates of chronic absenteeism. What have we learned so far about what strategies are effective or at least more promising than others? Yeah, I mean, I think there uh, there's a few uh, a few types of interventions that seem like they uh, can be effective. Um, I mean, one is just very light touch uh, uh, um, interventions that attempt to provide parents or the youth themselves with information. You know, recently through text messaging. Um, information about their child's uh, attendance, and then also about the importance of attendance. You know, when the kid is absent, the parent gets a text message saying, Johnny was not in school today, and oh, by the way, he's only made it to two out of five days of school this past week. Um, And, you know, research says that it's, you know, Attending school is incredibly important for your child's success. So these kind of text message campaigns um, have, you know, have been shown to be effective in reducing chronic absenteeism and in increasing attendance in general. Um, modest effects and probably most effective with uh, families and students uh, that have uh, that are not the highest uh, highest risk or highest need group. So these kind of low-cost information interventions have been shown to be uh, effective in many cases. Um, and I think the other, you know, the other big category of interventions are kind of systems that try to identify students that may be at risk and then uh, use sort of a case management approach to address any of the difficulties that seem relevant for that system, uh, for that child, I'm sorry. Um, So that could be a a school counselor, um, a teacher, like a student support team at the school, you can intervene for students that are flagged, you know, maybe talking to their parents, arranging for alternative transportation, connecting the family to social services, um, a whole variety of kind of individualized uh, supports and that's a strategy that sort of reflects the fact that there are lots of potential causes that it may be very different for different students and so perhaps the best way to approach it is to use chronic absenteeism as a warning sign and then try and get someone involved with the student at a very individualized uh, level in order to work through the specific problems that they face that's right I mean I think in uh, sort of it I think it's uh, the logic there is sound. I mean, the challenge is that, A, these kind of systems are pretty resource-intensive. Um, I mean, it's kind of individuals, social workers, counselors, teachers that need to work kind of one-on-one with children and families. Um, and, uh, I mean, the devil is really in the implementation and the quality of implementation. I mean, it could be that a counselor could work very effectively with a family, or just not be very, you know, effective in their interactions and approach to uh, um, working with a family. 
Now, of course, repeated truancy is actually against the law in most jurisdictions and can carry with it steep fines or even jail time. Is there anything to be gained from treating this as a law enforcement issue? Um, I think there's probably not much to be gained uh, other than potentially kind of identifying uh, really high-risk youth and then providing some of these extra services. I mean, there are, uh, the evidence that I've read that's out there suggests that, you know, kind of the fines or, you know, sanctions associated with chronic absenteeism don't really have a positive effect, and they can end up, you know, inadvertently penalizing students that, uh, really are trying their best but are absent for kind of factors beyond their control. Um, you know, the few cases where I think kind of court-ordered interventions have been successful that I've read about is where um, a court has kind of intervened and provided some of these individualized supports, you know, through uh, a court-ordered social worker, for example, uh, that works with the, the youth or their family on the issue. Um, and so then the court becomes the mechanism by which the strategy that we had just talked about a moment ago actually gets implemented. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what about more positive incentives for attendance? I know that some places require a decent attendance record in order for students to be able to have a driver's license, for example. Do we know much about that approach? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, uh, there's one interesting article we found that did uh, suggest that these no-pass, no-drive laws were associated with improved attendance. Um, so I think that's that's a possible mechanism that kind of a state, for example, could put into place. Um, you know, there's I, I think there's lots of other kind of small school level incentives that are tried all the time by teachers and administrators. You know, little pizza parties or movies or maybe even small prizes um, for good attendance. Um, you know, there's, there, there haven't been any um, kind of you know, systematic or persuasive studies that I found on those type of positive rewards. Um, so it's hard to, hard to say exactly how much of an impact they could have. At the start of the conversation, you mentioned that part of the interest in chronic absenteeism stems from a just sense that we need to be finding ways to look at student and school success that incorporate more than just test scores. And one of the ways in which we see that playing out is through the so-called fifth indicator in school about accountability systems under the Every Student Succeeds Act, what uh, states are required to bring in some additional indicator beyond test score levels and growth to look at school quality. Uh, and a number of states have, in fact, adopted chronic absenteeism rates as their fifth indicator. Is that a good idea? Uh, yes, I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think, uh, like we talked about earlier, it is a very good predictor of kind of academic uh, difficulty. <clears throat> it's something that is not, uh, or certainly in the past, has not been typically reported, so um, making this uh, fifth indicator would bring it, would force the school to measure it well, report it, reflect on it, um, which I think is a good thing. And 
uh, I think it doesn't suffer from some of the downsides of other potential indicators um, that have more measurement challenges, like some social-emotional learning indicators. I think that you've done some work on um, that probably aren't quite there uh, in terms of the measurement yet. I think let me just push back on that response for uh, a moment, which is that you know one of the concerns about some of the accountability indicators based on test scores is that at least when we're looking at performance levels rather than growth over time, that really they're telling us more about the students that a school serves than about the quality of the school itself. And, you know, you've talked about how chronic absenteeism, a lot of it is shaped by factors beyond a school's immediate control, at least absent a much more comprehensive support system. So is there a concern that chronic absenteeism as a accountability indicator would be unfair to schools that serve more disadvantaged students? Um, yeah, no, I, I think that would be a concern. I mean, it's kind of the same concern as kind of the the current test score measures that are simply like the fraction of kids uh, meeting or exceeding standards. Um, and so I think, you know, the way that one, that if you were a, a district or a state administrator would want to look at this is looking at changes over time in a school or uh, this outcome, you know, conditional on other school characteristics. Right. I, I mean, I think I would, wouldn't would want really drastic kind of individual school outcomes to be driven by this alone. Um, but in the same way, I think that, you know, level test scores are an important thing to measure, even though they're in in many ways outside of a school's immediate control. Um, I think... Uh, this is important to measure as well. Well, as you said, when we started out, uh, part of the interest in chronic absenteeism is coming from the fact that we have more data uh, to look at it and more data to understand its importance. And it seems useful to making sure that that flow of data continues so that uh, educators can be in a position to address the problem um, where it exists. Yep, I think that's right. My guest today has been Brian Jacob, professor of education policy and economics at the University of Michigan. His article on chronic absenteeism is available now at educationnext.org. Brian, thanks for being part of the podcast. Uh, Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.